God, it is our sins that were piled up upon Jesus on that cross. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. And he has paid the penalty for us. I ask for your spirit to help us receive what your son offers us, to help us to believe in the power that was at work on that cross, to help us know that our sins were not just overlooked or forgotten or excused, but they were forgiven. I pray the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart should be pleasing to you tonight and that you would speak through me a sinner. By grace, I ask you in faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Friends, loving, loving a sinner, loving a sinner is hard. Loving a sinner will always require suffering, always. Think about this. If someone sins against you, there is suffering. The sin itself will cause some kind of suffering, but making things right after the fact brings about more suffering. Making things right after the fact brings about more suffering. If you make them pay for their sin, they suffer. If you forgive them, you suffer. If any of you in this room have ever forgiven somebody who has really hurt you, you know this, that forgiving someone is bringing on suffering yourself. And forgiving someone, I think, is a supreme act of love because you take what penalty is rightly owed, what justice would demand, and you take it upon yourself for their sake. This makes loving someone who is a sinner a very vulnerable endeavor. The, uh, you guys probably don't check email, but the quote at the bottom of my email signature says this. Would you put that up for me, Daniel? It says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. Lewis said, possibly broken. Your heart will be wrung and possibly broken, but I, I suspect, I submit to you that when we love someone who sins against us, it will surely be broken. It's not a possibility, it's a guarantee. To love it all is to be vulnerable and to love a sinner is to be vulnerable indeed. Love, you see, I think if you, if you think about what we mean when we say love or what Jesus in particular means when we say love, love desires another for their sake. Love desires the other for the sake of the other. Love wants to be united with another. If I say I love you and walk away and leave you never to see you again, you would question what I mean by love. 
Love seeks the other for the other's sake and seeks to be united with another. And in order to be united with someone who sins against you, some kind of reconciliation must happen. If I have sinned against you, there must be some reconciliation for us to continue to dwell together in unity. Either I must make it right or you must forgive me. Either, I'm, either I have to make it right somehow or you must forgive me. Either I must suffer or you must suffer. Loving a sinner is hard and loving a sinner will always require some kind of suffering. And this is not true just amongst humans. This is also true of God and how he loves us. If you haven't heard, God is pretty bent on loving you. God is absolutely bent on loving you. I hope you hear that tonight. He's bent on loving me, on you, on us. And because of our sin, if he wants to love us, suffering is inevitable. For God so loved the world, right? That's the the well-known verse proclaims. For God so loved the world. For God so loved. Why was Jesus sent into the world? Because he loves us. It is precisely that simple. (laughs) That's why he was sent into the world. Because he loves us. Before the meal on his last night, we celebrate that coming up this Thursday, Before the meal on his last night, his best friend records this. Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Why did Jesus do what he did for us? For love. Jesus did not have to do what he did. Jesus did not have to do what he did. He was not forced or manipulated into it. His love compelled him. The son was not forced by the father to go to the cross. The son's love for us and for the father, if we're clear, compelled him. He did it for us, for you. And he knew it was coming. He came into the world for this. His friends following him into Jerusalem before that week, like leading up to that week, they were, they were going, marching to Jerusalem, the city. His friends were in awe of him and were overwhelmed with fear, one gospel writer says, because he told them what he was going to do and he didn't run away. I'm going to suffer and die and I'll be raised from the dead. I have the power to lay down my life and raise it up. I'm going to have to suffer many things and lay down my life for you. And his friends were like, yo, then let's not go there. And they were in awe of his determination and his eyes set and fixed toward that city. And they were overwhelmed with fear because they didn't know what this meant. But he set his eyes on that city and he marched toward it decidedly. He marched open-eyed, clear-minded toward that cross with you and me on his mind fixed before him. Bent on loving us and extending forgiveness to us that we might be with him forever. He loves us and to love a sinner requires suffering. And friends, I think if we who are created finite beings, if we suffer much, if we suffer a lot from light momentary afflictions in forgiving one another, how much more must the Son of God suffer in his infinite self in forgiving us of all the sin that we have? Friends, we look upon as Christians, we look upon the cross, gruesome as it is, And imagine our Lord hanging upon it. And we're invited to remember that love, uh, loving a sinner requires suffering. 
And so the idea is that when I begin to catch a glimpse of his suffering, that I too can catch a glimpse of the depth of how much he loves us. That's the idea. Loving a sinner requires suffering and he suffered on that cross and in that death. But what exactly happened? So he demonstrates his love for us. Maybe you believe that, maybe you don't. What exactly happened on the cross? What did Jesus accomplish there? Couldn't he have demonstrated his love another way? I want you to listen and read what the apostle Paul has to say about what Jesus has done for us. And these are heavy words. I hope you have a Bible so that you can read these later and ponder them this week. I really do. If you don't have a Bible, come let me know. We'll, um, I had a pastor once tell me we'll, we'll mug a Gideon for you. <laughs> Sounded fun. Uh, uh, there's Bibles in the back of these pews. We're not gonna mug anybody, okay? But uh, there's Bibles in the back of these pews. You can take one, we'll replace it. Just let me know. There, we also have a bunch downstairs. I'll get you one if you don't have one. Um, you can also just download it digitally too and then memorize it and you don't even need one. Um, anyway, uh, we're doing memorization during this semester. Anyway, um, but my point is there's some heavy words here and I just can't, you guys, I can't go into the depth of all of these words tonight. And sometimes I'm gonna be really honest with you. I feel kind of a pressure, a certain pressure because I don't know how much y'all go to church. I don't know how much y'all read the Bible. And I don't know even when you do go to church or read the Bible, how much you're, you're paying attention and how much you're asking questions, how much you're digging into the, to the, essentially the love letter that God has given the world in history. I don't know how much you do that, right? And so I come to Tuesday night sometimes and I'm like, I gotta explain everything because I don't know. This is the buckle of the Bible belt and we have people that don't, have never read the Bible. We have Christians who've never read, I mean, many of you in this room, I'm sure, quite sure, have never read the New Testament even. And I'm not saying that to shame you, but I just think there's this sort of pressure that comes in. So I, this is just gonna be my little way out so I don't have to feel pressured to go off on a bunch of tangents. Thank God for the evening, right? Uh, and for brevity. Um, it's, please read uh, the next, we put up the next slide from Galatians chapter three. Um, I want you guys to, to read this stuff later. This is Galatians three, verses 10 through 14. You can read all of Galatians if you want. It's, it'll take you 15 minutes or less. Um, but this is a great thing to dig into. Let's read it together, all right? This is what Jesus did on the cross for us. Paul says this, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things all things written in the book of the law and do them. Notice he doesn't say and know what they are and do them. Now it is evident, evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree, who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's everybody who isn't Jewish or Israel, Israelite. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. All right, Danny, if you just keep that up for a bit, I'm gonna uh, explain some stuff and walk through some stuff, right? Not a one of us is justified before God by the law. By our effort, to attain righteousness by our works, by our effort to attain righteousness by doing good and not doing evil. And friends, if you haven't learned this yet, the whole mad world is bent on this way of life, on earning righteousness by the way we live. And we may differ from person to person or culture to culture about hierarchies or definitions of good and evil, but we're all in on the scheme. We're all in on it. We all think that if we just live the right way, we can be righteous. 
And it's not that that's technically untrue. That's the crazy thing. That's why it's so insidious for us. It is theoretically possible that righteousness can be manifested in our lives by the law. Theoretically possible. It's just that no one's ever done it. Ever. Save Jesus. We all fall short. We all fail over and over and over again. You know that. You don't live up to your own standards, let alone God's. You know that. Over and over and over again, generation after generation, nation after nation, we are all dead in our sins. Every single one of us. No one in this room can stand before God right now and with the record of our lives be justified. Each and every one of us has rebelled against him and has a nature that is in, rebel- is in rebellion. And the heartbreaking, terrible irony is even as I say that, some of us in this room think, I'll just work a little bit harder. To our great peril, we think that. Though it has never worked, Maybe this time it might. Friend, you can't. The righteous, Paul quotes and says again, right? The righteous shall live by faith, not by the law. The righteous shall live by faith, not by the law. The righteous shall live by faith, not by the law. But because we keep trying to live by the law and failing, sinning against God and his creation, Paul tells us we've placed a curse upon our heads, death. And Jesus, loving us to the end, took our place there on the cross. And God piled, you remember the verse we read at the beginning, God piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong on him, on him. The man of sorrows, the prophet calls him. Why? Because he had to? No. Because he loved us and he wants to be with us. And the only way through is for us to suffer for our sin but we wouldn't survive that or for him to. If he wants to actually be with you forever and your sin must be addressed, either you have to pay or he does. And you wouldn't be able to stand the payment. There would be no you left if you had to suffer that. And so he takes the sins of the world upon his shoulders, nailing the curse of the law to the cross. The only one who had done no wrong, the only one who deserved no death, the only one who had not sinned. We're told that he has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. We're encouraged by many, many church fathers and and theologians in the history of the church to imagine, because it's true, that we have substituted ourselves for God, sinning, that's sin, and in response, God has substituted himself for us. Jesus took what we deserved And we get what he deserved. And what he deserved, friends, is abundantly more than anything you could ever ask or imagine. This is the son of God who lived a sinless life, a perfect life, perfectly humble, not considering equality with God something to be grasped, even though he is the very image of the invisible God. Poured out his life as a servant for us. What is it that this son deserves? And he offers it to us. We get what he deserves by grace through faith. This is what Jesus does on the cross. We get what he deserves and he gets what we deserve. He suffered for us out of love. And remember, loving a sinner requires suffering, right? And I've alluded to this, but he did not do all this simply so that we could be forgiven because some of us believe that. 
Some of us will talk about Jesus as a savior. And we go through this process of, of confessing and repenting, maybe repenting, definitely confessing, and asking for some kind of assurance from God and just hoping we don't sin again. Some of us get stuck in this sort of cycle and I wonder if it's because we think all Jesus did was to try to get us back to square one, to get us back to neutral, base zero, something like this, right? And we go on our way. But we know know that this is not all he did. If we would just think for a minute about why we would forgive somebody else. Why would you offer forgiveness for somebody else? I, I would submit to you that we forgive anyone, if we do, to be reconciled with them and to share life with them. That's why. And the same is true with Jesus. He had a goal in mind that was more far reaching than just forgiveness, though that is where it starts. He has loved us in his forgiveness and in him substituting himself for us on the cross in order that he might actually share life with us, that he might actually share life with you. He truly loves you. He doesn't just want to fix you. He doesn't just want to fix you. He wants you. He doesn't just want a certain kind of life from you. He wants you. He wants life with you. He wants an everlasting life with you. That's what he wants. And so we are invited Jesus. And this week, these are the kinds of stories we're going to talk about a lot in the church. If you go to a Maundy Thursday service or a Good Friday service or an Easter Sunday service, we're invited to let him clean us, to let him wash us clean from the curse of the law, from the filth of sin, from the fear of death. Come to him, he says. Come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden. Let him give you, one of the prophets says, let him give you a crown of beauty for your ashes. You don't deserve this. None of us does. The righteous shall live by faith, not by works, remember? We're forgiven. And forgiven is never earned. Forgiveness is never earned, ever. I know I've heard it said sometimes. I've probably said it myself. I would totally forgive them. You don't understand, though. They just really did something wrong. We say things like that. And we completely miss the point of forgiveness. The whole point of forgiveness is that it's not earned and that either they're going to pay for the wrong that they did or I'm going to suffer by not making them pay. And the very reality that they did something wrong against me is precisely why we're even talking about forgiveness in the first place. So what do you mean? I would totally forgive them, but they did something wrong. Fill in the blank. We're forgiven by Jesus. It's never earned. It's not by our works, but by his wounds we're healed. It's his love which covers our sin and makes us clean. Come to him, he says. This week, friends, as we approach Easter, and I encourage you to go to church on Easter, right? My first Easter service was in college. It was pretty wild. Um, I didn't really understand what the whole thing was about, but it's a big deal. Uh, And I encourage you to go. Um, We're invited as we go to Easter services, to Maundy Thursday services, to Good Friday services, to other things during this Holy Week or Passion Week. We're invited to remember his love and what his love has wrought for us. Now, truly, we try to remember this all the time. But this week, we dial in on it and we try to focus on it and recalibrate and recenter our attention and our affections more. We remember that the cross, for example, comes before a crown. We remember that loving a sinner requires suffering, and so we look upon his suffering And we see it and we're invited to marvel at his love for us. Now look, he gave us more pictures 
of his love than just the cross. On that night um, before his death, that last night, in the middle of dinner actually, he stood up and he set aside his clothing. He was sitting with his 12 friends. He wrapped himself in a towel and he got on his knees and he washed the feet of his friends. And the scriptures tell us that even Jesus knew, because in the middle of this narrative is this crazy notion, this idea that Jesus knew that one at the table was gonna betray him, had already done it in fact, just days before. He had sold Jesus out already. And Jesus still got on his knees and washed that man's feet too. Think about this. That night, knowing what was before him, that the father would turn his face away from him he didn't deserve that something quite frankly I don't know if you've ever thought about this but that is something that you will never have to face if you are in Christ I submit to you that the deepest fear I was sharing this with staff the other day and I did not come up with this but I think this person's right that the deepest fear that lurks down in the bottom of all of our hearts is being abandoned by the father now, you might put slightly different words to that, but I, I, I suggest to you that that probably is what, at the very core of things is that I would stand before the Father one day and he would say, I don't even know you. I don't want you. And that's precisely what Jesus went through on our behalf so that we never have to. He knew he was going to die a horrible death. His friends were on his mind and he loved them to the end. It's crazy. In the midst of that moment, his friends were on his mind, knowing that within 24 hours, what was going to happen to him. And so he stoops low and he washes their feet. Why? Pay attention to how I serve you, he says. If you want to follow me, you must be like me. You are not greater than I, and I stoop low and serve the ones I love. Love each other as I've loved you, laying down your life for them. Loving a sinner requires suffering. And so among the plethora of pictures Jesus gives us of his love, here we see him washing the feet of those he loves. The king kneeling before his servants, out-serving them, outdoing them in honor, laying down his life for them at the meal before he lays down his life for them on the cross. So tonight, I wanna invite you to think about how Jesus loves you and about how he has called you to love others by having your feet washed by one another and washing another's feet. This is a symbol. This is something Jesus did on this week, 2,000 years ago. It's a small picture to remind us of what Christ has done, to remind us of how our great king used his power, to remind us of how we ought to love one another. And if it causes you to suffer a little, a little humility, suffer a little discomfort, it's only because we've not earned the right for another person to wash our feet and because there's no one in this room that's earned the right for you to wash theirs. No one but God alone has earned that right. It is only by grace. So if it causes you to suffer just a little good, loving a sinner requires that. So here's the deal, friends. As the worship team leads us in a few more songs tonight before we leave here, I wanna invite you to think about our great high priest the high king of all creation, Jesus. I know that every single one of us in this room in our moment of utter clarity, what we long for if we believe in Jesus is we long for him to come in power. We long for him to make all things right, to make everything just like he promised he would in the end. 
to supply all of our needs in the very ways that we want him to. But he comes in humility before he comes in power, right? This week, he enters into Jerusalem on a donkey. He comes on a donkey before he comes on a horse. The cross comes before the crown, like I said. He's lifted up on that cross before he's lifted up in glory. And he comes on his knees before he comes on a throne. This is what the high king does. And he invites you to be like him, to be with him. The servants are not greater than the master, he says. And this is the way he comes into the world, inviting us to let him stoop low, wash our feet and lay down his life for us. But because some of us want to live by the law, we resist it because we suspect, man, if I let you wash my feet, does that mean I have to do that to others? Yes, yes, it does. But he invites you to be like him in his humbleness that you might one day reign with him in power. That's the promise. And so this week before Easter, what the church does is we focus on the humbleness and the humility of our Lord. Many churches don't even use the word hallelujah (laughs) during all of Lent because they want to sit in the suffering. They want to sit in the darkness thinking, 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 because it's so hard for us to remember the humility of our God. It's so hard for us to remember the servant nature of our King. It's so hard for us to remember that love requires sacrifice all the time, and so we recalibrate during this this time. And I want to invite you to try to recalibrate tonight. Let's pray, and I'll give you some instructions, all right? Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I thank you for the faithful records of what our Lord went through that last week of his life. I thank you for um, John's insistence that we know that the disciples, that his friends, that the future of his church was on his mind as Jesus went to the cross. I thank you that Jesus had the power to lay down his life and raise it up again so we know that no one forced his hand. I thank you that in, in a world that is splintered and fractured, and there are so many neighborhoods of Christianity, I thank you that billions of Christians around the world get united around similar stories and we recount this wonderful, terrible week that, is the, that, that holds the single greatest facts of human history. Would you invite us in to local churches? Would you invite us into the history of what you've been doing in the world through your church? Would you help us to know that we are part of your bride if we are in Christ? Would you invite us to be like him toward others? Oh, and Father, I ask that you invite new people in, that any who have not placed their faith in Jesus but continue to try to be righteous by the law would bow down before him and then they would see him bow down even lower and clean them. I thank you for my friends gathered here tonight. I thank you that we can gather around your word and that you promise, I don't even have to guess, you promise that your spirit is present now because we're here around your word. Thank you for that. May you be glorified in our hearts and in our minds tonight. May we care for each other well May the Spirit be on the loose in our minds and hearts, attuning our attentions to Jesus and teach us to adore him because he adores us. 
And would you receive our praise, broken as it is? Would you receive our, our silly confessions that probably don't even scratch the surface of the depth of our sin? Would you receive our um, misplaced affections? Would you receive all of us as we are and clean us and make us new? I pray all these things in the name of Jesus who is incomparable and powerful to finish everything he starts. Amen.